If you want to learn how to gain insights you can act on and solve business problems with data, all while building a data-driven culture at your organization, sign up for Pragmatic Institute's new course, Data Science for Business Leaders. Find out more at pragmaticinstitute.com data. Welcome to our Ask Us Anything with the founder of the Data Incubator, Michael Lee. Michael, we're so happy to have you. Welcome. Hey, Great. thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Really excited to sort of dig into some of these questions today um, that got asked for you specifically, actually. So they are ranging from everything from curiosity about the fellowship itself to sort of those more in-depth questions just about data science and some of those like really exciting opportunities that can come from um, completing the, the TDI program. So uh, while you need no introduction to us, uh, for the folks that are listening live on the call, uh, did you maybe want to start by giving a brief introduction, Michael, and say hello? Uh, yeah, sure. So I'm Michael. I'm the founder of the Data Incubator. Uh, as you guys probably know, it's an eight-week fellowship uh, to help people with master's and PhDs make that transition from uh, kind of an academic uh, or, or a non-data science industry career into a career in data science uh, in industry. And we've uh, worked with uh, probably thousands of fellows at this point to help them uh, make that transition. Uh, and it's very exciting. We do this four times a year. Um, and I, uh, my understanding is that uh, the application is actually gonna be closing soon uh, for the summer session, which is actually tends to be the most popular one because a lot of people get the summer off. So that's gonna be very exciting to see our latest cohort. Um, but uh, so my own background is uh, I uh, quant and a data scientist. So I used to, uh, be a quant at a lot of the kind of big banks in Wall Street. Um, so uh, JP Morgan Chase, uh, um, some of the hedge funds like DE Shaw uh, made that transition over to data science uh, where I was the first data scientist in residence at Andreessen Horowitz, and then eventually moved over to Foursquare where I ran data science monetization uh, before starting the data incubator. Well, I love it. I'm so excited that we get to have the source today. Uh, so we are delighted to have you with us. I know we already have a ton of questions that were submitted. So I want to pop through as many as possible, Michael. Um, again, you know, I think the best thing to maybe do is maybe just open it up. Um, now that we kind of know uh, how things got started, maybe some some questions about maybe why you decided to start the, the, the data incubator and, um, you know, some of the reasons why you kind of move forward with that program. Yeah, so, you know, I, uh, I, so as a person who sort of felt the pain points acutely on both sides of the interviewing table, so to speak, so both as a PhD from Princeton trying to enter industry, and then on the flip side of that, uh, being a hiring manager, not trying to hire people into data science, I felt like I saw a lot of the shortcomings uh, of the existing process, and I wanted to sort of think of ways to help make that um, less uh, uh, less hard for both sides. Um, and so that, that sort of was the genesis of the fellowship uh, and how we uh, started with this uh, fellowship that helps people make that transition in their careers and helps hiring companies hire uh, top talent. Yeah, it's really fantastic. I mean, I've gotten to see some of the 
impressive success stories. And, you know, I think that the people that are hiring uh, the TDIs are, are, you know, that's just so they're getting more and more impressive. So it's a really exciting time. Um, I definitely wanted to ask you sort of as we kind of know a little bit more about the program, you know, what are sort of some of the entry standards, right, for acceptance here at TDI? What should people really know before they, they put in those applications? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think we're looking for people who are really excited about a career in data. Um, uh, you know, one of the things we ask you to do is sort of to take a data set that you have uh, that's is publicly available and start playing with it a little bit so that you can start uh, get it get a sense of um, sort of what it's like to play with data to uh, work with data uh, to see if this is a good career that makes sense for you but then um, also we want to sort of see if like you have that kind of intuition about what to do with data and sort of some of the uh, some of the um, I don't know uh, insights uh, into what you can do with data. And it doesn't mean you have to be a fully formed data scientist on day one, we're obviously not expecting that, but we uh, do want people who, you know, who demonstrate a certain um, inclination for it. Uh, and if you think about data science, it's in many ways sort of this intersection between programming, math, um, and narrative and storytelling, right? And so we're looking for people who can sort of demonstrate uh, the fundamentals of those skills or sort of the basics of those skills. Um, and so if you wanted to sort of prepare, this is often the question we get, right? How do I prepare to, uh, uh, for the application? How do I prepare for the fellowship? Uh, we sort of say like, hey, look, really focus on those three core skills, right? Um, start brushing up on some programming, uh, make sure you sort of get caught up a little bit on math and stats um, and make, make sure you can sort of think about, especially for your project, how do you tell, uh, or the, your proposed project, how do you sort of find an interesting data set and then tell a sort of interesting story around that, that's uh, compelling um, and sort of thesis driven and um, that some business partner might find interesting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, we get another question as well um, all the time, right? So uh, a lot of people know that we have our fellows, we have our scholars, but they're not quite sure um, what the difference is between the two. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so that's right. So we started with the uh, with the fellowship, uh, with just the fellowship, and it was it's a free program, uh, free for eight weeks, um, and uh, we you know we get all these applicants. We take the top two percent. It's a very selective program, and then we work with them. We train them up, uh, and we help uh, co hiring companies sort of get uh, uh, hire from the program, and they get a recruiting fee when they success. Uh, we get a recruiting fee if uh, they are successfully hired. So that was really great, but the the thing we saw with that is that it was just sort of a fairly small market. We wanted to be able to help more students. So we, what we did was we said like, hey, look, it looks like there's a huge pent up demand for this training that we have. What if we came in and said, hey, look, you can also pay for this, and that's called the scholar program. And uh, it's sort of much more of a traditional educational model where you, uh, where the students are paying uh, for the program. And then at the end, they can go uh, work with whoever they want, uh, work at whatever company they want. And so that's sort of how we started this. Obviously, it's this, uh, and that's sort of the genesis of this, is what I want to say. And obviously, this is the same um, program. Uh, you're sort of, uh, the fellows and the scholars are sitting in the same room, uh, working on the same materials. So there's nothing, uh, there's no difference, right, in terms of what the education received or the sort of the grading standards or, uh, or what have you. But it's really uh, just an opportunity for us to figure out how do we uh, expand this program so that we can 
uh, touch more lives and help more people be able to get through that program. And we're still doing the fellowship and we're still very committed to this idea that uh, we want to help uh, some, some folks be able to go through this for free. But we also uh, have a scholars program uh, that is paid as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like, you know, there's a, there's a choice for everybody, which I, which I really love, which I really love about the program. Um, but now I want to talk about you. I mean, we got so many questions about you personally, Michael. Uh, everyone is super interested in sort of in your background. And um, a lot of people asked, what are some of like the favorite projects that you worked on, right? Like some of your favorite data projects and why? Yeah, you know, there's just a lot of them. Um... And I, I actually have like, I think I started a running list at some point of data projects I want to do, but I never had time to do. Uh, but one of the ones I took off the list maybe a year or two ago, maybe a year ago, uh, was really around kind of um, analyzing data and design. So looking at, so, so by design, I mean web design, uh, really like what is, what do websites look like? And what do they, um, you know, what should they, uh, what kind of font do people use? Uh, how big is the font? Are they, they use images? Uh, is it predominantly text, right? Like all these kind of big questions. Uh, and you'll find that if you sort of like go to into the web design world and sort of build some websites, and I've done that, uh, that there's no real data around that. Uh, it's very kind of, I guess, what you might call an artistically uh, craft-minded discipline. And there's a lot of sort of conventional wisdom, uh, which is great, but there isn't a lot of data that sort of says like, hey, this is what, what the, where the industry standard is. And the funny thing is, of course, the web is like immensely crawlable, right? So it's actually very easy to get this data. Um, so what I did is I went to um, I forget what the source is, like the Majestic Million or something. There's some web source that's like, hey, here's the top million websites in the world. Just crawl all of them, pull them down, the HTML and the CSS, and then you can start like parsing through the stuff um, and looking at, well, what kind of fonts do people use? Do they use serif or sans serif? What's the difference between the way titles are written versus the way text is written? So I guess this might be just like super inside baseball unless you care about design. Uh, but I thought, but I, I did this and I sort of did a bunch of analysis uh, on this these top million websites. Uh, and I published it in a place called, I think it was Dribble. Um, you can look this up. Uh, but it was just sort of like an analysis of what these different sites were. And it was really interesting how much engagement we got from the design community and people who were themselves practicing designers who were kind of interested in these uh, questions. And they had, you know, they had came to me the same thing. They said like, oh, I'm so glad that I actually know what the, uh, what's the benchmarks uh, size for font uh, when I do a design, because then I at least know like, hey, am I larger than the average or smaller than the average? And it's not to say that any of this stuff is prescriptive, that you have to do what is average. But I think it's interesting to sort of know where you lie with respect to the benchmark. So then you know when you're doing something, what you're saying, right? And uh, how you line up with what the quote average website looks like or the median website looks like. So that's sort of, sort of been a fun kind of passion project of uh, mine of, uh, recently. Um, and I, I think I have a list somewhere of a, like a bunch of them. So if you want to like, if someone is looking for ideas for what to do with a fellowship, you're more than welcome to sort of uh, go rummage through that list of ideas. And I'm sure I have many more. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you know, keeping on kind of the tone of like the technical, right? What, what are some, um, you know, we get a lot of this, right? Because we have a lot of TDI webinars and offerings where we are doing live demos. Um, and we get this question all the time, should I learn R or Python if I want to be a data scientist and why, and why or why not? Yeah, you know, I think um, from a kind of crack, crackle career perspective, I think there are people who uh, are 
R people and there are people who are Python people. Uh, and they, both of them are have very successful careers doing data science, uh, doing lots of great things. Um, so I think it's sort of, you know, you, one can do both. Uh, I'm personally uh, a bit more of a Python person than an R person. Uh, that's not to say that there aren't sort of great things about the R ecosystem that I think don't exist in Python. Um, so like dplyr is really amazing. Uh, it's a sort of, uh, it's the equivalent of pandas in R, right? Uh, and it's just sort of this like really great library that has this like much more uh, intuitive syntax than pandas does. And yes, like I'll be the first to admit, like pandas is sort of just like, this hodgepodge of stuff that's like very effective, but there's no rhyme or reason why these functions are named the way they are. Uh, whereas like dplyr is clearly like a much better way of doing it. Uh, and, you know, you can't really put it over the Python for various technical reasons around the, like the shortcomings of the language, so to speak. Uh, and that's just sort of a very beautiful thing that happens in R. Um, but overall, uh, my personal bias is towards Python because I think that it's nice to tap into a language that is used by a very, very large fraction of the um, programming world, right? Uh, and it's this ability to plug into the hundreds of ecosystems that weren't built for data science and, uh, necessarily, but they were built because some web dev needed this tool or that somebody who's doing, running system administration on using Python needed uh, some tool. And ha having access to all those is what makes, the, to me, in my mind, the Python ecosystem uh, that much more rich and that much more powerful. But then again, you know, I have many uh, colleagues and friends who are of the R persuasion and will sort of uh, give you a convincing uh, argument as to why R is preferable. And that's totally fine. I think in the end, both are, you can do really well um, and have a great career in data science, uh, knowing one or the other. Mm -hmm. And I really liked what you talked about earlier when you're talking about some of those passion projects that you were doing and you were like, look, a lot of it's, you know, digging in, looking at those benchmarks, right? Like, uh, do you think that if someone wanted to get started in data science that they would need to know these things? I mean, it seems like an intimidating thing. Could they attend a demo or two? Do they, should they take an introductory course? What are your thoughts on, on that? Yeah, I know we do a, um, a number of demos uh, around, uh, as part of sort of our efforts to reach out to the community. And so there's lots of stuff that you can follow if you follow our Twitter, like at the Data Inc. Um, or the Pragmatic Institute. Um, and I know we also sort of from time to time offer kind of like an intro course um, to help folks along. So I guess I would keep you, uh, I would say, keep your eye, eyes peeled and abreast of that. Yeah. Absolutely. And I know we have those. I know uh, Nikki's hard at work making those happen all the time. So uh, I want to take a step back here, Michael. I know that, you know, look, these data terms, right, um, they can be a little tricky. So if I could get you maybe, can you explain the difference between a data scientist, a data engineer, a data analysis? Like, what are those biggest um, differentiators, do you think, between the roles? Yeah, so that's a great question. It's a question I get uh, a lot. Um, and I think that that's often a source of confusion for a lot of folks uh, in an industry. So maybe the easiest way to think about this, um, well, the easiest way to think about this is first talk about the data engineer, right? Uh, I think that data engineers are much more focused on the engineering aspects of the job, uh, of the sort of data tasks that need to be done. So, you know, at, at any large organization that, or any organization has a large amount of data, there's just 
a lot of plumbing that has to happen to make the data flow from point A to point B, to make it, to take it from a production database into um, an analytics database that you might need, to be able to set up your Spark cluster so that you can do your analysis easily. And that work doesn't come for free. It's a lot of, um, it's a lot of engineering, right? To kind of move that around. And, but it's a specific kind of engineering. It's not engineering to build a website. Um, it's not DevOps. It's really data engineering. It's the art of moving trillions of bytes of data around. Uh, and that's what, um, and that's sort of the role of the data engineer. Now, if you move more towards the kind of analytical side of things, I think you encounter these other two persona, uh, these other two personae, the data scientist and the uh, data analyst. I think that you know, these lines are very blurry. And so it's hard to sort of say exactly where uh, one stops and the other, the next role begins. But I think in general, when people talk about data analysts, they're talking about people who are more focused on the business problem and the business side of things, uh, and are perhaps not as sort of in the weeds of the technically sophisticated stuff like machine learning or deep learning, and are mo much more focused on the kind of business problem. Uh, and their tools of choice may be more things like SQL or basic pandas, right? But they're not tending to do sort of very heavy duty machine learning. Uh, and, and that's not to sort of poo-poo them or sort of uh, be pejorative, but, and in fact, actually, I think those roles are very, very important because in the end, a lot of important business questions come down to something simple like logistical regression or a group, a SQL group, group by. So they play a very, very important role. Uh, but a lot of their output, uh, if you will, is actually kind of in the form of uh, influencing others. So it's helping business decision makers uh, understand the data side uh, and the evidence uh, around the alternatives that those business decision makers face. And, um, and that kind of workflow is extremely important. And it's still very data intensive and can oftentimes be you know, using the same data sets that a data scientist might be using or that a data engineer has been building. So that's sort of the data analyst side. Now on the data scientist side, I think you're sort of getting towards people who are more focused on the fancier tools and machine learning, if you will, um, who are using slightly more advanced uh, tooling. Um, they may be answering kind of questions that are driven by a business person, uh, especially at a small company where they often have to play a role of both a data analyst and a data scientist. Uh, but especially, but when they're specializing, they're specializing much more in that kind of uh, uh, the more advanced tool set. Uh, and their deliverables are often not sort of a PowerPoint or um, a report that a human consumes, but a model that gets pushed into production that's doing recommendations, um, that uh, might be doing ad targeting, right? These sort of more classic data science uh, type outputs. Yeah, I think that you just like that's such a stellar example of like the types of patterns that each role will be looking at, the types of tools that they'll be using. So um, that is an A plus one. Thank you for that, Michael. Um, I also want to ask a little bit about. So I, obviously you, you had kind of dug into that a little bit. And I'm sure that there might be some bias here, but do you think that maybe there is one path better than the other? Would you maybe suggest something for a certain individual as opposed to the other? I mean, what are your thoughts thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a, um, you know, I think it really just comes down to what's your interest and where your interests lie, right? There are very successful careers in all three of those disciplines. Um, 
Uh, and obviously we sort of support people who are looking to get into all sorts of all three of those disciplines. So uh, I think that that's a very easy, um, yeah, that's, that's a, there's just there's lots of opportunities and it's probably more comes down to an individual's own inclination or interests um, that will sort of drive that kind of very personal uh, career decision for them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, even just breaking that down, right, those examples of the patterns that you'll be looking at, the types of tools that you'll be using, I mean, those are all really, really helpful indicators of what space um, you might absolutely. Um, terrific. Uh, so how about somebody, because again, I feel like data is this, this intimidating term, right, even though we, we use it every day in, in all of hopefully the, the business decisions that we make. For somebody who maybe has wants to get into data, right? They're a novice, they've never done it before. What would you suggest some ways for them to get their feet wet? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. And you know, we we see this all the time with people who want to uh, uh, who are data curious, who want to learn about what a career in data would be like. I think there's really, you know, I have this great uh, expression that data science is not a spectator sport. Uh, and I think that's very true. It's a participatory sport. So, you know, you can go and watch all these Coursera videos about how you're supposed to do data science and how to do logistic regression or use TensorFlow. But in the end, unless you actually use these tools on real data, it doesn't, you're not really learning anything. Uh, and so I think the advice really to folks is to kind of get your hands dirty, start learning uh, how to use a tool like Python or R to play, to um, manipulate data. Um, if you're not there, or you feel like it's not quite ready for you, then at least use something like Excel to start playing with these tools um, and start playing with data. Um, uh, and yeah, and I think that we take carry that philosophy all the way through, right? It's not just sort of something we say, um, to applicants, but it's also something that we practice in our fellowship and in all of our corporate training courses. So it's about, yeah, sure, we'll do some lectures and we'll talk to you a little bit, but about like, you know, the theory or um, how these libraries work. But in the end, the thing that really matters is actually just getting your hands on keyboard, working with real world data, dealing with the messiness, dealing with all of the myriad of things that can go wrong. Uh, and it's a very, you know, it's its own skill. It's not just programming, um, uh, but it's also not just purely kind of business intelligence. It's its own sort of skill and discipline. And I think that's what you'll, uh, that's what folks will learn in our program. And that's what they should start sort of getting themselves familiar with even before they apply. Because it's, it's a big commitment, right, um, of your career. Uh, and your time. And so you really want to make sure that this is the thing that's right for you. So, you know, roll up your sleeves um, and start working on it because that's uh, the only way you'll realize that this is the thing you want to do. Yeah. And I think we can both agree. We love getting into the messiness. Um, so want to ask you a quick question here. You know, obviously I think that this is another big question that we get asked all the time, Michael, but you know, experience versus education, right? Um, how do you kind of look at those, right? Is it more important? Does education outweigh that experience or is, is experience really what, what companies are looking for these days? Yeah, you, you know, I think, I think companies are looking for people who can get, uh, who are skilled and can do the job. And, you know, how we figure out whether or not people are skilled and can do the job is a complicated question. 
Um, and sometimes that comes down to education, right? Oh, they uh, went to the data incubator. They should be able to do this. Or uh, it comes down to experience, right? Like, hey, they've been working as a data scientist for five years. Um, and I, so I think that it's, you know, it really comes down to being able to demonstrate the skills uh, and in an interview, uh, whether, you know, however it comes. And, uh, and that, that's one of the reasons why we are so focused in our education around being hands-on keyboard uh, and getting uh, just sort of reps in where you deal with 30 data sets, where you're dealing with the actual tools you would be using um, on the job. You know, so one of the things we do for all of our scholars and our fellows is we spin up uh, cloud instances of the uh, of our training materials as uh, and embedded in a Python environment, so that you can start playing with those tools right away. Um, you don't have to deal with some of the messiness that's involved in setting up a um, a data science uh, environment. Uh, and I think that that's kind of is very helpful for just getting folks started, right? And I think that this is a and this is that sort of experience of dealing with data, whether it be through a program like the data incubator or through a program or through your own sort of uh, self-directed learning or through uh, experience in a job. I think that's actually what really matters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great advice. And, you know, we got so many questions on that. I kind of I want to make sure we get to Samantha's. So, again, right, that education versus experience conversation. Uh, you know, Samantha DM doesn't ask, um, I got offered a job as a data scientist, but it's not my dream job. Should she hold out for something that they want or take this one to get her foot in the door? Oh, you know, that's that's an interesting question. I'm going to say let's pause on that. Samantha, I'm curious to know why you think that's not your dream job. Um, and then I think I can give you a better answer after you <laughs> after you answer that. But I'd love to just hear why that's not. So maybe why don't we go to the next question and then hopefully Samantha will provide an answer and we can come back and. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we keep another one that we keep getting is we keep hearing about a skills gap, uh, but we're out here doing the work to close that skills gap with, you know, the data incubator. Can you kind of explain what the skills gap in data science means? Yeah, I, I think it's. And data science is not the only place you see a skills gap, but maybe it's one of the places it's more acutely felt. Look, it's hard to find people who really are good programmers, right? Like this is just everyone who's in Silicon Valley knows this. Now, imagine if you had a job that requires that you find someone who's a good programmer and knows a bunch of math and stats. It's already hard to find people who know math and stats, right? We all know this. Um, and now layer on top of that, especially if you're a data analyst, somebody who has that ability to do storytelling, who can sort of take a uh, complex narrative and tell you like, um, oh yeah, there's lots and lots of regressions here. There's lots and lots uh, of tables of data, but here is the story and here's the data that backs that up and can kind of tell that convincing, uh, compelling story um, and pull out the sort of thesis from the, uh, the noise. That's a really hard person to find. And I think that's sort of what we're seeing in the skills gap. So what we're trying to do is help create more people who are trained in the art of data science and the sort of skills of data science um, so that they have more uh, programming background, they have a stronger math background, and they have a stronger um, uh, storytelling background. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, Samantha chimed in. She said she loved your example of the data engineering. And she says she thinks that I, I want to work closer to that side of the table, but I'm worried it will be harder to obtain. So she feels like there's more data science jobs than maybe data engineering jobs. Hmm. Is that true? Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it sounds like Samantha uh, is saying that she really wants to be a data engineer. She has an offer as a data scientist and maybe is thinking, um, and you know, I was trying to decide. Uh, you know, I, I think that that's sort of, it's a kind of a complicated answer. And obviously uh, it's hard for me to sort of say, um, tell you one way or the other. I think a few things to keep in mind are like, what's your current job, um, right? Uh, if you are, I'm just gonna make up an example, right? If you are currently a sales clerk and you want to get into data, then presumably moving towards data science is becoming a data scientist is a lot closer to becoming a data engineer than being a sales clerk. And it seems like that's, you know, we don't always end up exactly where we want, but if we can move closer every day, then like eventually we'll get there, right? So I, I'm in that situation, I might say like, hey, just go for it. Um, now, if, you know, if you don't like the culture of the company that you would be joining, if there are other downsides, maybe it doesn't make a lot of sense to uh, join. Uh, or if there's like another offer coming down the pipe that is for data engineering, then maybe it doesn't make sense to, uh, to join. But if you are looking at this from a, hey, let's just become, uh, I want to become a data scientist and this is sort of, sorry, I want to become a data engineer and this is getting me closer to that. You may be able to join. And then in an organization where there's multiple data scientists, um, you might find, especially if your own natural inclination is more towards data engineering, that it's easier to transition that role within a job, uh, maybe at first without taking a new title, right? But you end up doing more of the engineering things because you're interested and the other people are more interested in the analysis or the model building, which is great. And you just kind of move your way towards the job you want, taking the projects you want. And then eventually it sort of becomes clear to everyone that you have a kind of different role and you can define yourself as a ML engineer or a data engineer or whatever, um, you know, whatever title you want. And that kind of is a, maybe a way of making that transition. Mm -hmm. Just an idea. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And, you know, I would love to just kind of hear, because there's so many of the skills that are transferable, right? It's like, you know, getting this skill set and being able to understand, and then you can kind of utilize it in a way that you're most um, interested in. What would, can you kind of give, just list off a few skills, Michael, that you think, you know, could transcend through all three of the careers? Um, yeah, you know, I, I mean, I think there is uh, just a kind of a basic understanding of, Hey, how data works, uh, what data is about, um, and really some ability to program, right? That's kind of very important for all these roles uh, because usually when you're dealing with in the big data world, there's just so much data that's using uh, point and click tools is not as effective. Um, and also the ability to kind of do custom things, right? Uh, programming languages are wonderful because they're infinitely flexible and you do anything you, you can dream up. But when you're, somebody gives you a point and click tool, well, you're sort of stuck doing the things that they allowed you to point and click. Um, and so I think the, the uh, flexibility of the programming language is sort of very key to that. Yeah, and you've touched on it a few times, but it's curiosity, right? It's willing to, to dig yeah. in and kind of get in there and you know be a part of those live demos, like get into those articles and blogs and kind of do your own discovery. Yeah, look, I think that um, we live in an era where, and not just with data science, 
but it also certainly exemplifies this. There's the, you're, we're going to be lifetime learners, right? We're always learning new things. I'm always learning new things. And I've been in this industry for a while. So we just have to sort of have that kind of growth mindset and focus on like, hey, what's the next tool out there to, uh, that will make my job, uh, make me able to do my job better, faster, uh, like give me capabilities I never had before. Um, I think that that's, uh, you, you're seeing that all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just had, you know, for Pragmatic, I know we just had the innovation in, in March and so many conversations, interesting conversations came up with that, right? How do you think boldly? Um, so I, I really appreciated that. Um, this next one I have for you, Michael, is a two-part. So number one, right, data science. It's one of the two top jobs in the entire world, or one of the top jobs in the entire world, I should say. Uh, number one, why do you think that is? And number two, is that a trend that you think will continue? Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Uh, people ask this all the time, like, hey, have we reached, I don't know, peak data science, so to speak, right, or peak data? Uh, and I don't think that's the case. Um, I think what you're seeing is the confluence of a number of events um, that are sort of broadly kind of driven by macroeconomics, right? The fact that computing costs have uh, gone down exponentially, the fact that storage costs of data have gone down exponentially, and the fact that actually networking costs, this is sort of the subtle one, the ability to move data from point A to point B have gone down exponentially. All this is actually what's driving the data revolution suddenly it's actually now possible and worthwhile to store lots of data uh, and then process uh, to transfer it to uh, transmit it and process it um, and to be able to glean insights from this. I think people would have loved to have done this generations ago, but we just didn't have the queue capacity and the uh, network capacity and the storage capacity to do this. But now that we have it, uh, we're seeing this huge value creation from data. And that's not to say that the uh, the industry is going to stay the same way as it always has, right? I think privacy is becoming a bigger deal. Uh, we're seeing sort of data nationalization where the countries are sort of saying like, hey, we want data sovereignty and all of our data should reside in our country uh, and can't be hosted in another country. So we are seeing these things, but I think they're actually in many ways one, it's healthy, right? We do want more privacy. We do want privacy protections. Uh, but two, it doesn't really reduce the amount of data science you can do. What it really means is that there will probably be a data science team for one geography and a data science team for another geography because of these regulatory uh, hurdles. And so I sort of see this um, creating more opportunities for data scientists, data engineers, and data analysts going forward. And like, you know, I don't see these trends changing anytime soon. This is sort of, you know, deep and structural and probably uh, we're just at the beginning of this data revolution. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I I definitely think that there's so much opportunity in it. And, you know, I know just in my own um, education and taking the courses, I mean, it's just invaluable, really, what you can do with it. Um, So I think that's fantastic. Um, well, I know that we are about uh, about to hit our time, so I wanted to see if there was like maybe anything else that you wanted to add, Michael, but we certainly appreciate getting to, to pick your brain and, and hear from the source, absolutely. Yeah, look, I think this is a really exciting time to get involved in data science, uh, to start a career in data science. So if you're interested in doing it, just, uh, you know, you know where to apply. Uh, you can go to the dataincubator.com and sign up for the fellowship. Um, and yeah, we hope to see you there. Yeah.
Terrific. And thank you to everybody who sent in their AMA questions today. We got a ton. Uh, if we didn't get around to answer your question, I know that we did hit our time, but you know, make sure to um, email us at admissions at the data incubator.com. We will make sure that Michael sees those. Uh, keep an eye out on our social channels as well. As we said, we always have those data demos. We're always doing future events, blog posts, and things that can keep you informed about those uh, best data practices for you. So Again, if you are interested in applying to our fellowship program, uh, you can find us online at thedataincubator.com. Uh, with that being said, thank you to everyone for attending. Michael, thank you for your time, and we will see you again. Thanks, All Dan. right. Thanks, everyone. Take care.